All right, if you have a Bible and you want to turn to uh, the book of Genesis, uh, we're going to be in chapters 37 and 39 this morning. We are, we are moving into the final portions of the book, kind of the home stretch here. And our attention now is, is being turned to the family of a man named Jacob, also known as Israel, and, uh, and his 12 sons. And to understand why these guys are important, you need to know something about God's plan for the world. God chose uh, a man named Abram, renamed him Abraham, and, and God made an absolutely astounding promise to him. He promised that he would bless him. He promised that he would give him and his descent, uh, he would give him many descendants, more than you could count, and, and a land. And God would bless Abraham and his descendants, and through him, this is the amazing thing, especially, that, that through them, God would bless all the families uh, of the earth. It's, it's just an, out, an astounding promise. Uh, God has a plan. God has a plan to restore his blessing to this world. And he has chosen to do it through Abraham and his descendants. So Abraham, his son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, and now Jacob's 12 sons, the sons of Israel. It is through the people of Israel that God has blessed and is continuing to bless the world. You think about it. It is through these people that God revealed himself and his character to us. He made known what he is like, that he is holy, that he is without compare, that he is absolutely pure, that he is righteous, absolutely just. He is gracious, he is compassionate, he is merciful. It was through Israel that God revealed to us His written word, the Bible. God used these people to have His truth written down for us. And most importantly of all, it it was through Israel that God brought His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to live, to die on a cross, to rise from the dead. To, to give his ultimate, uh, all of his blessing poured out through those who would um, put their trust in Christ. So these guys play an absolutely huge role in the outworking of God's plan. And we're going to focus today on one son of Israel in particular, uh, a guy named Joseph. He's the 11th son. And... As we begin to look at his story, I want you to notice something that in particular is emphasized about Joseph, okay? So in 39 verse 2, it says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. 39 verse 3, the Lord was with him. The Lord gave him success in everything he did. Uh, 39.21, the Lord was with him. And then 39.23, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So you see it? See the emphasis there? The Lord was with 
Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And this is one of the greatest truths, this is one of the greatest truths there is, that God, the creator, the sovereign Lord of the universe, chooses to be with people. I mean, this is, this is one of the main reasons Jesus came, was to give us this experience. Jesus, this is why one of his titles, we, you know, we sing about this and talk about this, especially at Christmas time. One of Jesus' titles is Emmanuel, which means God, God with us. And Jesus came and he died and he rose again to, to enable those who trust him, who receive him, to have this experience of God being with them. Jesus died to make this possible. It's an absolutely incredible thing. And so we're told here, the Lord was with Joseph. And because the Lord was with Joseph, I don't know if you know this, but everything about his life just goes perfectly. (laughs) Everything goes just swimmingly. Everything good that could happen to a person happened to Joseph. Everything just worked out great. No problems whatsoever because the Lord was with Joseph. Actually, that's not true at all. And if you know the story of Joseph, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know the story of Joseph, you might be very surprised to discover what his life was like. This life where it's described that the Lord was with him. Some of the most terrible things that could ever happen to a person happened to Joseph. In fact, he... uh, those first two statements about the Lord being with him, okay? Those describe his life after he was kidnapped by his own brothers and sold into slavery. Then the second two statements about the Lord being with him, those are made after he is convicted of a crime he did not commit and was sent to prison for over a decade. 13 years in prison. Try, just try to wrap your head around that for a minute. Joseph went through some of the worst things that could ever happen to a person. And the Lord was with him. And I think that makes his story very, very important for us. Because we live in a world where terrible, terrible things happen to people. Even to people who trust in Jesus, even to people who strive to live life his way. There's a huge lesson for us about those times when we're wondering where God is. Because isn't that the question that comes up in your heart, your mind, when, when something really terrible happens, when something really awful happens to you, isn't it easy? I mean, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've come to that place of saying yes to him, putting your trust in him. Now, if, if you're here and you haven't come to that place, I'm really glad you're here and I'm glad you're checking it out. That, that's great. But for those of you who have said yes to Christ, you put your trust in him. When something really awful happens to you, I mean awful, isn't it easy to think, Hey, 
Where did God go? Where, where did he go? What happened here? I, did, did, did he get tired of me? I mean, did he get fed up and decide I wasn't worth his time anymore? Did he forget about me? What happened? Where did God go? Joseph's story answers a very, very important question. And the question is this. When would God leave you? When would God leave you? Assuming you've entered into a relationship with God through Jesus, when would he leave you? Okay, here's how Joseph's story answers that question. First answer. Not when you act stupidly. When would God leave you? He won't leave you when you act stupidly. Okay, let's pick it up at chapter 37, verse 1. And Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Kind of tattled on them. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to... Now remember, he's 17. Some of them are like in their 30s, 40 maybe. It's a big family. Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. He told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Now you can see his family has issues. And uh, Jacob is plain favorites, just like his parents did. And he gives Joseph, and his favoritism is not subtle here, okay? So he gives, he gives Joseph some kind of special robe, and it might as well have been embroidered with the words, Dad loves me best. Ha, ha, ha. <clears throat> and uh, the result is ugly. It says his brothers hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Do you think Joseph knew this? Kids know. Kids know. Kids know when their parents are playing favorites. Kids know when their siblings hate them. Joseph had to know. I mean, it says he couldn't even speak a kind word to him. Okay, so here's the question. If he knows, if he knows they hate him, why does he tell them 
his dreams about him one day ruling over them. You realize dreams are private things. You don't have to share your dreams. You really don't. Now, it turns out that these are not just ordinary dreams, like most of us have. These were somehow given by God. It's not really explained, but somehow we know these dreams are true. At least we're going to see that as the, as the story plays out. So they're true, but not everything that's true has to be said or should be said. Now, there are truths that should be said. Chief among them, of course, is the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus has to be shared. We're told that. We've got to proclaim the good news about Jesus. So that's a truth that has to be shared. But there are other truths that don't need to be shared. Look at Ephesians 4.29 for a minute. Do not let any unwholesome talk, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, okay, so what is the opposite of unwholesome talk? Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So you might think, well, unwholesome talk, that's like, you know, what is that, swearing or lies or whatever. Well, it probably includes all that, but that's not the focus of this. Here we're talking about things that are true, but aren't helpful. They don't build others up according to their needs. It doesn't benefit them. The goal of telling truth is to help others. Some truths are not helpful. Have you ever had something shared with you that was true, but not particularly helpful? There's lots of things like that. And if a truth isn't helpful, if a truth isn't helpful, it doesn't mean you should lie. It means you should shut up. See it? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I think Joseph's dreams fell into that category. Telling his brothers his dreams, that wasn't helpful to them. That didn't benefit them. That didn't build them up according to their needs. So why did he tell them? Well, the word that came to my mind was stupid. I mean, at best, at best, he's being insensitive. At worst, he may have been gloating. I don't know. You know, it's kind of like, hey, guys, guess what? It's not just dad that thinks I'm number one. God thinks so, too. <laughs> and the result is completely predictable. They hated him all the more because of his dream. And note it, what he said. Stupid. But I can, I can relate. I can totally relate. I would hate to count up all the times I've said something stupid or, or that I've done something stupid. Um, what does God do when we act stupidly? What does he do? Well, he may very well discipline us. The Bible tells us that, but he disciplines us because he loves us. Does he leave us? No. No, he doesn't. We might think he should, 
You know, the way we think, we think God should be with those who deserve it, and God should not be with those who don't, who don't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Nobody deserves it. His presence is always an undeserved gift. We never deserve it. If we belong to Christ, his presence in our lives is a completely undeserved gift. God didn't leave Joseph when he acted stupidly, and he won't leave us when we act stupidly, even even when the stupid thing we've done is a sin. Look at 1 John 2.1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, don't, don't miss that. Don't speed over that. Stop and think about that. My dear children, I write this so that you don't sin. Oh, that we would feel that. Don't sin. Sin ruins. Sin destroys. Sin undermines. Sin separates. Don't sin, little children. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. God will not leave you when you act stupidly. Second, when would God leave you? Not when your family rejects you. Not when your family rejects you. So let me summarize here the next part of the story. Uh, Joseph's brothers are out in the countryside tending the sheep somewhere. And dad wants to know how things are going, so he sends Joseph to check up on them. Now remember, he's already tattled on them once. This is a really bad idea. But he goes, the brothers see him coming, and they have had it with this guy. And so they kidnap him. They throw him down in a cistern. And... They're actually considering killing him. That's how much they hate him. They're thinking of killing him, but then they see this caravan of merchants coming by, and they get a better idea. Uh, 37, 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. Okay, his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Verse 31, then they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. Interesting choice of words. It's not our brother's robe. It's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Family. Family, so powerful. A family ought to be where we feel loved, where we feel safe, where we feel accepted. 
But sadly, that's not how it is for many. Maybe that's not how it was for you or is for you. Maybe, you know, if you experienced rejection from your family, maybe it wasn't this bad. Maybe it was even worse. I don't know. But being rejected by those who are supposed to love you and accept you, that cuts really deep. And the worst part of it is, many times people who feel rejected by their family also feel rejected by God. But that isn't true. God was with Joseph even when his brothers treated him cruelly. One of the most important verses in this whole tale comes at the very end of the story when Joseph says this to his brothers. He says, you intended, you intended to harm me. Literally, you intended evil to me, but God intended it for good. In other words, God knew. God allowed And God worked to bring good out of evil. Now, please understand. Please understand. This does not make what his brothers did a good thing. You know, if if your family treats you cruelly or has treated you cruelly, it's an evil thing. It's not a good thing. And this story is not a promise that that we're necessarily going to be able to figure out the good things that God is bringing out of this evil thing. Now, Joseph, he is finally able to see the good. But you know, we might not be able to. Not until we finally stand in, in the Lord's presence and the story is finally finished and we finally see how it all worked out. We may not see it until then. But the point is, even if your family rejects you, God never will. Psalm 27.10, though my mother, my father and mother forsake me, and that's unlikely for most people, fathers and good, good moms and dads don't do that. But even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. He won't leave you if your family rejects you. He won't. Third answer, when would he leave you? Not when everything is taken from you. Not when everything is taken from you. So in chapter 39, we read how the Lord is with Joseph, gave him success in everything he did, you know, And eventually he's promoted. He gets to be chief steward over Potiphar's entire household. And and, uh, things are going well, relatively speaking. Things are going well. But let's don't don't overlook something. Verse 32, or I'm sorry, 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Joseph is a slave He's a slave. He's lost everything. Now, he's got a a good job for a slave, but he's still a slave. He's lost his freedom. He can't go where he wants. 
He can't say, you know, I miss my dad. I want to go see him. No, you can't. You can't leave. He's lost his home. He's in a foreign country. People speak a different language. They have a completely different culture. He's lost his father who loved him. He's lost all his possessions. You know that robe? It's gone. Everything, everything has been taken from him. Everything. What if that happened to you? What if that happened to me? You know, it is happening to followers of Jesus all over the the world. There are places where those in power... It's not okay with them to, for you to believe in Jesus, for you to follow Jesus. And so there are people where following Jesus could cost you your home, your job, your family. Could even cost you your life, could cost you your freedom. How would you feel about losing everything? How would you feel? Would you feel abandoned by God? Would you feel forsaken by God? There's an amazing passage in the book of Hebrews written to some Christians who'd lost everything in a previous time of persecution. Look at this. The writer says, You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Okay, hold it. Back up. You know, sometimes you read something in the Bible, you just need to go, Rewind. Joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Somebody came and confiscated all their property. They took it away from them. And these people accepted that with joy. How? Because you knew. Ah, they knew something. What did they know? You knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. They had possessions that were way better than what were taken from them, and nobody could take them away. They knew that. How did they know that? So that they could rejoice because God was with them. And God had promised them that they would have a glorious future and they would have everything they truly needed for joy eternally. They knew that. Oh, this is so important. It's so important for us to grasp, especially those of us who have so much. We have so much. Most of us are staggeringly rich by world standards. We really are. We need to grasp this. It's not our stuff that makes us secure. It's not our stuff that's going to satisfy our hearts. And if you've gotten enough stuff, you already know that. It's not good enough. That stuff can't satisfy. It's not our stuff that we're supposed to put our hope in. You know what that's called? Idolatry. Our hope must be in God. When He's with us, that's not just, you know, some clever phrase. That's not some theoretical idea that's not, that doesn't make a difference. He's actually 
here. He's actually there. He's with you. He's doing things. He's changing things. Maybe we can't see it. We often can't. I'm pretty sure Joseph didn't see it at this point. But the fact is, when God is with us, he's working. He's at work to bring about the best possible ultimate future for us. Even if we can't fathom it. And his presence is the guarantee. Look at Ephesians 1.13. Written to those who put their trust in Christ. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. And it's guaranteed. And God's presence, his Holy Spirit in you is the guarantee, the promise. God doesn't leave you even if you lose everything. And one more, when would he leave you? Not when you suffer the worst kinds of injustice. And I don't even have time to elaborate on this one. But Joseph ends up, he's a good guy, he's doing everything right. He gets framed and he gets thrown in prison for 13 years. 13 years. Totally unjust. And God was with him. God was with him. So let's just settle this. Let's answer this question once and for all. When would God leave you if you have genuinely put your trust in Christ? Never. Never. Hebrews 13.5, God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never, 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 never. No matter how stupidly we act, no matter what terrible things happen to us, no matter who else rejects us and forsakes us, God never will. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have received him as God's one and only provision, God's one and only remedy for your biggest problem, your sin that separates you from a holy God forever, but if you have received Christ and embraced him as your treasure, your greatest treasure, God with you, God with us, God will never leave you. Never. Ever. You might feel like he's left you, but he hasn't. You say, well, why didn't you just say that a half an hour ago? This message could have been a lot shorter. Because it's really easy to hear the words, isn't it? I could just say, God promises he'll never leave you. And we'd all go, oh yeah, cool. It's easy to hear the words. It's easy to nod our heads. It's easy to agree when everything's fine or relatively fine. 
It's when we get into terrible situations. It's when we get rejected. It's when we experience terrible things that we think, ah, where, where did God go? He didn't go anywhere, even if it feels like He did. If you belong to Jesus, He's with you and He's at work in your life. And one of these days, one of these days, He's going to finish your story and you are going to love it. I don't know if you know the rest of Joseph's story, but ends up becoming second in command over Egypt. God uses him to save the lives of millions of people, including his own family. Now, if you could go back in time, imagine this. Imagine you can go back. Joseph's in prison. He's going to be in prison for 13 years, and then he's going to get out, and he's going to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and all this amazing stuff's going to happen. But, you know, that's down the road. Right now, let's say it's year seven, and he's in prison. He gets up, he's in prison. He goes to bed, he's in prison. He gets up, he's in prison. He goes to bed, he's in prison. His dad's far away. His family, he doesn't even know if they're alive or dead. Hey, if you knew how it was going to turn out, what would you say to Joseph? You'd say, man, hang in there. Hang in there. God's at work. God, God is doing amazing things. You, when this is all done, you are going to love it. That's what God's doing in your life if you know Christ. And by faith, you're living, following Him, obeying Him as best you can. And you do stupid things, and you say stupid things, and people do terrible things maybe to you, maybe in your own family. But God's at work. And when it's all said and done, you're going to love it. You're going to love how he finishes your story. You're going to love it. It's going to be way better than you think it is. Way better than you think it is. God is with you. He's at work. And he will never leave you. So, let's... Let's talk to him. Let's, let's bow and let's pray. And I don't know what everybody in this room is going through. I know a few things. But you may be right in the middle of something that feels pretty terrible right now. And you, you cannot see how it's going to turn out for good. And I can't tell you and nobody else can. But you have God's promise that if you have said yes to Christ, if you have received Him, if you have come to Him in humility and say, I can't, I can't do it. I can't be good enough. When I, when I rule my life, I ruin it. And I'm a sinner and I don't deserve anything. But God, if you would have mercy on me, save me. Give me Jesus. Give me your Holy Spirit. Give me life eternal. If you've done that, He's with you. If you're here this morning and you haven't done that and you want to do that, I would love to talk to you afterwards or right now you could just pray and say, Lord, save me. Save me because of what Jesus did, not because of what I can do. Let's just take a moment and let's pray. And, and whatever it is that's on your heart, just tell him. Father, thank you for your 
rock-solid promises. Uh, there is just not much we can hold on to in this world, and if we try to hold on to it too tightly, uh, it crumbles in our hands. So right now, we just want to hold on to your promise in Jesus that you will never leave those who trust you. So we, we invite you to please strengthen our hearts, encourage those who are going through the tough times, help them, help us know that you didn't go anywhere. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.